Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. Today I got with me Jason Fry. Hello, Jason. Hello, and good to speak to you. Yes, Jason. Jason, I should actually say, Jason's someone who I met at my first ever writers group I went to. I don't know if you're aware of that, Jason. Back in, uh, was that your first? Yeah, that was quite a few years ago, but yeah, that was. 2009. Uh, which one was? Is that the one with. On the page. Or off the page, whatever it's oh, called. Oh, yes. Is that the Ealing one or the one Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the Ealing, yeah. When it was, when it was yes. up, at the, up at Ealing Studios at the, uh, the thingy. The, the, well, it wasn't. It was the back of Ealing Studios at the school, wasn't it? We, we used to hire a well, We went in the front entrance as the Ealing Studios and looked yeah. like we were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went in through the gates and then disappeared around the back into the Never yes. Never. But you're, but you're a, a writer, director, actor, podcaster, author, a juggler, I think yeah, tennis, tennis player. Marathon, run, um, marathon runner. <laughs> uh, yeah, that too, actually. Um, a lot of it's by default. I kind of started off mainly as a writer. Um, yeah. I always wanted to be a novelist, um, and after a few years of doing that, I discovered it didn't make a huge sum of money. It's very rewarding. Um, it's very time-consuming, and it's a great job if you get paid for it, but I sort of wasn't making enough money to actually, um, you know, pay... Well, I was getting by, but... Novel writing was not a high kind of paying job in the long term. So I still do that, but it's, then I kind of thought, well, I can start writing scripts because I have lots of ideas. So then I spent a few years, you probably know, writing scripts, mm. which um, a few of which I sold, which was nice because um, I actually brought in some quite decent cash. But then for whatever reason, the producers that I sold them to never actually got around to making them usually because they didn't have the funding or, you know, it just went into the proverbial um, development hell. So there are scripts that sell out there that are optioned and then they just went on the pile or whatever did get made. Such is the life uh, of a screenwriter. Yeah, so I think, I think the odds are basically if you sell a script, even if it's sold, it's still only like a one in a hundred chance of actually getting made which is not a very good odds if you think about it, really. It's nice to get paid, but you kind of want to see a, a film of your script at well, some yeah, point. Well, yeah, yeah, of course you yeah. do, of which, of which, and which is why we've come together, because we're talking about your debut feature film. you want to tell us what the name is? Yes, it's called um, Beyond Evil, The Dead of Night. And so, yeah. give us a basic synopsis of what it's about. 
It's um, it's basically a horror film about independent filmmakers making a horror film. Okay. Um, which again, because I did sort of various short films and a few kind of uh, sh longer pieces as well, and it's kind of I remember thinking at the time some of the stuff that's going on behind the scenes is actually more dramatic than what's coming on in front of the camera. Yeah. So I kind of actually develop a film where you kind of see people um, shooting a horror film and when, when they stop shooting horror films, things are even worse than actually in the film. Um, I don't know if you remember the... There's a sort of story about the Poltergeist movies at the time. I think the young girl in the film passed away. Yeah, yeah, it was considered... The whole, the whole, whole film was considered cursed, wasn't it? By the, well, uh... that's the thing. I kind of tapped into that and I thought, well, you know, I want to actually make a film... Um, which became a bit of a self-fulfilling um, prophecy because I want to make a film about a film that's cursed. Yeah. Um, which seemed like a good idea at the time, and but then it kind of it actually when we were filming it, it did actually seem like things were cursed and everything that could go wrong did actually go wrong, which was the premise of the film at the same time, but it was again a bit too true to life. So you you were um, shoot you were shooting and living a reality at the same time. Pretty much, and it's kind of intended to do it that way. Um, so it was to a great extent intentional that we actually put ourselves in a situation where we didn't have enough resources and there was kind of various frictions and tensions which you'd get on most sets anyway, but I really wanted to actually bring that to the fore and make it real. So, um, let's, well, let's, so let's rewind a second then before we get to the practical yep, parts okay. of it. When, when, you, when you come up with this idea of um, the film about the making of a film that reveals the film, it's the film shoot itself is cursed. Where, where did you, where did you start in terms of writing an idea? I mean, how, how does that look on the page, you know, in terms of compa compared to say how you'd write a normal movie? It was, um, it was a bit of a different approach for me because normally, as you know, I'd write like a full script and I'm kind of quite meticulous about every word has to be right and every line has to sound yeah. like it's very well crafted. I'm not kind of a naturalistic writer. Um, but with this, what we actually did was I wrote a kind of 40-page outline, yeah. which had um, a lot of dialogue, lots of ideas, and lots of kind of scenarios, but it wasn't in any way a full working script. So then about three weeks or about a month before we actually started shooting, I got all the actors we had, and we'd improvise and we'd rehearse and we'd try and work different things out and see what come out, came out of the mix. Why, 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 did, why, did, why did you choose to do that way? Just because I wanted it to, be, it to be almost like a documentary that you were watching. So it was almost like a behind the scenes of making this film. So I wanted it to be very, very naturalistic, um, which is, it's, it's harder than you'd imagine because um, we had some really good actors. Yeah. Actors, they are very used to acting, if that makes sense. It does. It's it's actually very hard to get them to stop acting because they're very well aware of how they're pronouncing words and how they're standing and how they're reading the lines. And I really wanted to say that just, just don't act. Just you're basically playing a version of yourself, an exaggerated, potentially nastier version, but just you know just be as natural as you can. But it's because um, even actually when, when going back a bit, when I used to do filming for comedies or whatever, yeah, when the actors were on, on camera. They'd be excellent, very, very, you know, actorly and perfect delivery. And then as soon as you shout cut, they would change and they'd be relaxed and much more actual watchable. 
they sort of become they, they stop acting and they just actually start having a bit of banter and a bit of conversation and that I always found more interesting than when they were actually acting to a certain extent and so, it's, it's, so, so I think yeah so carry on I was going to say so so what you were what you were really trying to achieve was a sense of organized chaos does that does that so yeah, that... uh, not so much organised, but more more the chaos. But yeah, um, <laughs> so so there was a plan. We knew each scene was going to be, and we knew what was going to happen in each scene. And but we wanted to make it look like a documentary. So you, literally, you were watching someone else filming us filming. If that makes sense. Okay. Um, so so, so, so behind the scenes sort of stuff. So the film you were filming was a traditional movie in the sense of cameras on tripods shooting a shot from different angles. Yes, but it was, again, an independent movie, so it was very kind of a low-budget kind of thing where they didn't have any resources, the actors didn't turn up, so the crew had to become the actors, which, as you probably know, happens sometimes in yeah, 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 low-budget yeah. filmmaking. So it was, it was kind of about the horror of actually making a film with no budget and no real resources or anything like that. So um, so were you drawing on real examples there, then, of experiences you've um, had? To a certain extent, yeah. I mean, it's again. I said when you, when the cameras filmed, they can be quite fascinating to watch. Yeah. Because you kind of get all these little mini tantrums come out on these tensions, and so I wanted to capture that, but in a kind of almost a stylized way. But it's so it was it was meant to be like you were watching a real life documentary. Um, okay. Again, again, Blair Witch was a very famous kind of um, example where you. When it first came out, I don't know if you remember, everyone was like, oh, is this actually a real film? Was this... Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it, was, it was released as a kind of, this is a documentary that we really found in the woods or whatever. So I wanted kind of that aspect of it as well. So, um, so in a sense, though, so it, it, when, when you were writing it then, even though it was an outline and you, you, still, you still had the sense of what each scene was and what the purpose was. So what, what for you then in that process of pulling those 40 pages together were, was the toughest storytelling challenge for you? during that process? Um, well, again, it was trying to make it naturalistic and kind of just almost like people having behind-the-scenes conversation, but at the same time having a momentum and kind of adhering to certain traditional kind of horror kind of values or templates. Hmm. So actually, at the same time of people just talking about their makeup or whatever, you have, you have something, a sense of dread, and a, you have to have a sense of things building up and, you know, building to a kind of horrific climax. Okay, okay, so you'd so be... Kind of working in a very, almost like a strict framework of what you're trying to achieve with a horror film, but doing it in a very naturalistic style at the same time, so it's... Okay, I get you now. So, so like, there'll be the, the sort of small chit-chat between the makeup artist and the actor, and at the same time, you're wanting to capture a moment that's pe propelling the story forward for the, yes. horror, for the horror story you're trying to tell, as opposed to the one they're trying to make. To a certain extent, yeah. So you basically had to be on like working on three different levels because there was the film. Basically, it's they're trying to film a reenactment of a real life murders. Yeah. So you have that element of the real life murders. Then you have the actors filming it, and then you have us filming the actors filming it. So it's it's, it's kind of almost almost sort of like like Inception where you're working on three different levels and you're not quite sure which one's real anymore. Which is uh, it's quite a challenge for, as writing, actually. And then, um, fortunately, when we're filming it, it actually seemed very natural to do it. So it wasn't actually contrived or we didn't have to force kind of the idea of it. Um, and I think we actually achieved kind of a very natural sense because um, 
Again, I was very concerned about having the actors acting. Yeah. As opposed to just making it seem realistic and like a documentary. And there was, um, there was a couple of incidences with one um, actor, who's a very, very good actor, but every time we were about to do a scene, they'd start doing vocal warm-ups and say, well, where, where's my position for this? And what's my... And I was like, it's just... You're not acting, you're just playing a version of yourself, but in this situation. Yeah, so you, I, think I, I can see how it's tricky. I can see why that's... Because you're, you're, you're pointing a camera at them, which is the artifice of... Which is the yes. barrier between the real world and acting. Whereas what you're trying to say to them is, I want to capture the moment where someone's having the nose powdered, not where they're delivering a, a, a eulogy. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, if some of the actors we had, they weren't... Again, myself, I'm not kind of like from an acting background. Um, yeah. So I found it quite easy not to act on screen was I think more the, some of the more experienced actors we had um, kind of struggled with it slightly and it took a while for them to get into that kind of rhythm of it um, but yeah it, it came again there's we had a lot of time to do editing and stuff so we can cut out lots of bits didn't work and it was you know we shot five times more than we probably used actually so yeah um, okay okay so you, you your 40 pages created footage for five times more than you needed so let's let's talk about the shoot then now um, okay. in, in the, I suppose, let's just do a bit of pre-production first. What was um, what was the casting process like? Was everybody people you'd already identified before you even wrote the thing, or was um, was casting something that happened? There was um, there was uh, one actor friend of mine called Nigel, who's who's kind of an older guy who only recently started acting, but he was very very good on camera and very very natural. So he was kind of he was just one of the most likable people you ever meet in that camera across on camera. So I wanted him to be the nice guy in the film, kind of, so to speak. Yeah. But also playing a version of himself, playing an actor called Nigel. <laughs> which, um, again, that was a film within a film kind of thing, because he was playing himself, which of I think course. he kind of realised. But he, yeah, you know, some actors, they do kind of play themselves even when they're playing other characters. And even, you know, if you think of... Um, Someone like Sid James has got a random um, selection, but he's, he's, you know, he basically plays Sid James in everything you watch. Of course. But he's really good at it. But he's very watchable, he's very likeable. So Nigel was kind of that kind of actor. You know, you wouldn't get him doing um, Julius Caesar or something, but as a Nigel-type character, he's perfect. Um, so sorry, I got um, a bit waylaid there. What was the question again? It was just about the casting, and, and, and had, oh, you, casting. had, okay, had, yeah. you, had uh, you identified everybody, or were the people that came on board I after had, you've written it? Basically, I had like a dream kind of casting of people I'd worked with, because I'd yeah. say we've been doing a comedy show for like three or four years, so I knew who I wanted, and I kind of actually um, wrote some of the characters based on the people that I wanted to use in it, but then... Yeah. Uh, to go with the whole cursed film kind of scenario... Um, about four or three weeks before filming, we lost uh, two or three of the actors for various... One had a broken leg, one had to do a course, so another one had to go abroad. So we basically literally lost half the cast before a month before filming, um, which was a little bit panicky, as you can imagine. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. So then we basically had a few auditions... Can, I, can I ask you, just for the, for the audience listening... Mm -hmm. I mean, the broken leg you couldn't anticipate. That's 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 really bad misfortune. But the other people getting called away at short notice for other things, was that always something that was an inherent gamble 
and risk to the film? It can be when you're doing something with a low budget as well. You can kind of, if you're not paying people huge sums of money, they'll can find other better things to do, and people are, can be a bit flaky. Um, uh, but again, I think it was bad luck to have kind of three of the six actors um, pull out before filming. So that was. But again, I've had similar situations in the past where some actors can't make it for a variety of reasons. So we, I always have like a backup plan. We kind of hopefully left enough time. So we auditioned, and we actually got a really uh, great actress I've not worked with before called Nicola Kelleher. Um, and how did you and find? How was, did you find her? I th- it was probably on either Star Now or Shooting People. Okay. And she just came along to audition and kind of... Um, it was one of those very rare instances where she basically walked into the room and started talking, and I was like, oh, okay, but I know she, she's actually going to be perfect. I just hope she actually can read, and then she, you know, read the script, and she actually read it, and I was like, oh, she's, you know, spot on what we wanted, actually. So that was a very, very lucky bit of casting. Um, and she was uh, really good to work with, and... Yeah, so that was very. In some ways, it was lucky that we actually the other actors pulled out because then we got her. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. So that was one good bit, good bit of luck. And then we had Nigel. We had um. Uh, was yeah. So there was one girl who had a broken leg, and she wasn't sure if she was going to be recovered in time. So we kind of didn't want to obviously, because we were filming in. Um, remotest Suffolk in a cottage in the middle of nowhere, so we didn't actually want her to be stranded there with a broken leg and kind of, you know... And, how, and how, did, how did that location get identified? Um, again, a relatively easy process. We, I uh, just... Uh, I knew I wanted, like, an isolated cottage, so I just went on various websites for, like, holiday cottages. Yeah. I spent probably a day searching and I found this place that was about 400 years old, um middle of nowhere surrounded by fields and woods um had kind of very tudor beams very odd kind of furnishings and i think the best thing about it was actually it's because it was a wooden building it's about 400 years old yeah all the beams have actually shrunk and kind of everything's at a very weird angle now um so it looked as everything was almost like some kind of surreal painting with strange angles and different doors facing different ways and it's you know it's one of those ones you go in you have to like bend down every time you go through, through the door so it was like something out of like a fairy tale horror film um so it's it a perfect location actually um it's quite decent size and we got it for a, a reasonable price as well so um i remember actually when we went in the first thing i did was um i put a pen on the table and because the floors were so wonky the pen just fell straight off the table <laughs> like okay that's that's probably a good sign. So we went with that place. Um, we, and we were there for a week and we um, shot most of the film during that one week, actually, yeah. So your feature film was shot in seven days? Uh, the interiors in the house were, yeah, because we were actually living in the house at the same time. Yeah. So which made it much easier because we could, like, start at eight in the morning and go on until midnight or whatever. So um, we had pretty much seven full 14-hour days of filming. Um, and then we did some other scenes in a pub, and then we we had to do a lot of pickup scenes actually. Um, about six months after the original filming, because um, Nigel, the actor I mentioned earlier, he actually passed away about two months after the filming. Blimey! Yeah. Um, 
Is this is this where kind of pop begins to imitate itself? You're, you're making. Well, this was this was actually um, uh, it was quite a difficult thing at the time because in the film we actually film him having heart attack as an actor. Yeah. And then he dies in the film from a heart attack at the same time. Right. And then literally three months after we finished the filming, he actually died of a heart attack. Jesus. In real life. So it was. Um, Life imitating art. Yeah, and at the time, life. I kind of really, I was got really freaked out because I kind of thinking I've, you know, I've written this film and we filmed it and it's kind of become reality. Um, and we had to actually reshoot a scene because we had a scene in the film after Nigel's passed away in the film. Yeah. Where we're sitting in the pub and me as the producer, I'm sitting there going. Well, this is really bad, but you know, this is the best thing that could ever happen to the film now because we're going to get publicity and you know, etc., etc. And then I, then when it happened in real life, I had to completely cut that scene because there was no way I could actually uh, live with myself having that on on screen. Um, it was just a bit too close to the bone and too true to life. Wow! Yeah, 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 I can see what you mean. That'd be. Because um, I mean, because I'm not actually that superstitious, but at the time I got a little bit kind of. Paranoid and kind of, you know, it, it did generally freak me out because it was, um, we filmed something and then it did actually happen and it's kind of, life, as you say, did imitate art, but a bit too too close. I mean, now that's a huge, like, coincidence between shooting a film about this, actually having it and it happening. What other, what other kind of spooky stuff sort of happened that was sort of, that, that I guess we can talk about with more levity in terms of making um, a film about a horror film? The... Well, the, the the location itself it was just it was just very eerie and very scary. And it's kind of like a we'd be kind of filming outside at night, and we both we'd be myself and Deepak, who's um, one of the characters, and also was doing camera, and both like, oh, let's go back inside now because it's a little bit creepy out here. Um, and then there was things like um, sound cables wouldn't work, which again could just be a technical thing, but it was like, okay, that's Frustrating, and then again we picked up like weird sounds when we were recording, and it was. Um, and one of the actors had a pretty major freak out on the second day for no apparent reason, and then basically wouldn't. Um, it was quite difficult for the rest of the the week, um, but I have no idea if that's something they had on going on in their lives at the time or if it was just again the curse of the movie like, yeah um yeah it was in, in, a, practi- um, in, a, pra- in a practical sense jason what was what would you say was um was was the tough stuff to to film um in, in the sense um one of my bad habits is basically overwriting very writing very long um monologues sometimes or very long pieces of dialogue Okay. Um, and in this one, we we had three or four kind of major scenes, which were pretty much over six minutes um, length. And because that, we were doing that, that's handheld, long, that's long scenes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so basically, we couldn't cut if we made a mistake, so we had to go basically from the beginning to the end of the scene all the way through without any messing up. Which to get like a seven or eight minute scene in one go is very, very difficult sometimes, um, which is one thing I've learnt is actually, yeah, it would be nice to have some 
quite technique for colorways as well. But because we were doing a documentary style, it was very hard to um, work around that. So we, we have got some very long seams in there, which I think do work. Um, but that, that was very tricky to get, and it took a lot of practice. Um, but again, I didn't want to over-practice it, because then it would look too rehearsed. I get, and that's always been the kind of, uh, what do you call it, the benefit of shooting a kind of found footage type movie, which, which obviously yeah, yeah. a documentary is a more planned version of that, in the sense that you're not trying to always get the frame in terms of the perfect mise-en-scene. You're, you're trying to get what looks like to be a real camera shot of someone, someone's point of view filming that moment. Yeah, so there was a lot of handheld stuff and there was a lot of kind of... Um, I, I'm not a big fan of the whole kind of shaky camera thing, to be honest. So yeah. it's, we, didn't, we didn't go overboard with that. Um, but it was kind of difficult getting like literally a seven or eight minute shot continuous. Um, especially the, the final scene is kind of... Um, I don't want to give too much away, but there's, there's a bit of blood and nastiness and full-blown horror. So that was quite tough. To shoot all in one go, going up, running up and down stairs, chasing and you know, various people screaming and things going very strange and violent. So that was the tough, that's probably the toughest um, scene to shoot. Um, and again, because a lot of the dialogue was improvised, um, to do that for seven or eight minutes is can be quite tough. And, um, how, how did you do about I, how did you do about second takes and stuff? If you were if you were relying so much on improvising. Um, we did pretty much, I'd say about six, seven takes of everything. Right. And then, and again, but it's it's hard after that many takes to actually keep, keep things fresh. But I think we managed to do it with kind of, it was normally the fourth or fifth take would probably work best. Um, but again, we wouldn't need a whole take from beginning to end that works. I mean, if watching a film now, you see kind of bits that are kind of, you know, people stumble over words, etc. But then again, that was quite naturalistic, so I think that works. Yeah, I suppose it plays into what you're trying to do, really, doesn't it? That, yeah. That the idea, that the less it sounds learned, the, the more it'll sound like somebody really talking, which is the opposite yeah, so. of what you want to achieve when you're trying to shoot dialogue in a movie normally. Yeah, so does it does... I think we actually got away with making it sound very naturalistic and unrehearsed. Um, so that's one of the, the benefits of the film, I think, that came out really well. You don't actually look, feel like you're watching a film, so to speak. You met, now you mentioned obviously the the, the, the pickup you had to do, which was in you know to to avoid accusations of poor taste. But what what other pickups did you find you had to do after sort of a obviously seven days to shoot a film is not a long time, and it'd be you know it would it'd be a, it'd, be, it'd be no surprise to anybody who's ever made film that you needed to pick up some other stuff that you didn't get. So what what were the um, kind of things you're having to pick up? Well, we did a few more exterior scenes in different locations as well. So we've now got a scene that's in a cemetery, which took a couple of days. Um, uh, we shot quite a lot of stuff we didn't get to use, again, because of the kind of Nigel situation. Yeah. Um, and there's um, still a possibility we might actually do a rebooted version with a few new scenes as well. Oh, OK. Yeah, so that's some links on the cards. Um so we might actually have a different kind of prologue and also then where the film now ends, we might extend it for a few um, few more scenes. Now, now, what do you, what do you looking back on it, what, what, and, 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 and thinking about talk, if you were sat down, if you were sat down with a first time feature filmmaker who's about to go into the shoe, what were some of the lessons, what, what was maybe one or two lessons learned that you'll be 
you'll be remembering when you next shoot a feature-length film? Um, get more sleep. That's uh, a big one. Um, <laughs> I, I think um, it worked in this case because it was a film about filmmakers that are under-resourced, so it kind of that fed into the whole ethos of it. Yeah. Um, but I'd never again do something with that kind of limited resources. Um so we didn't have any assistants or runners on the film. Yeah. Um, which, again, is just a hugely useful thing to have. Because um, I kind of spread myself quite thin because I was acting in it, I was directing it, and literally making the tea as well, and driver, chauffeur, pretty much you know, set dressing. Um, so I think I would just have a lot more production stuff. Um, and, again... You can't always predict things, because we had, like I said, cable, um, cables not working. So just have spares of everything as well, and just actually... Um, this one was kind of literally, we, we wanted to just throw everything in there and see what came out. Yeah. So it was, like any kind of documentary, you're never quite sure what you're going to get. So it is kind of a calculated gamble that things will work out, whereas normally I'd actually like to have everything storyboarded, worked out in advance, um, you know, polished script, lots of rehearsals. So you go in and everything's good to go, whereas this was kind of on the fly, which was the nature of the film itself. Um, yeah, so again, lots of technical things where, like, the quality of the sound recording could have been better. Um, one thing we did do was she had, like, a mini kind of studio in the in the cottage where we actually could review the footage every day so we could watch back stuff and even do, like, a mini edit. And so that was very useful to have a okay. idea of where we were going. I mean, out of interest, did, did, did you find... So when, when you'd shot it and you're in the edit, you've done, your, you've done your pickups you needed, did you find anything new in the story that wasn't on the page from what you'd shot, or did what you edit play true to the, 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 the heart of what was in those 40 pages you, you, wrote, um, you outlined? Well, lots of new things came out, actually, just in terms of mainly the characters themselves. OK, um, like what? Um, just kind of, well, it was one character is meant to kind of, it came across as him actually kind of being quite um, enamoured of one of the actresses, um, and that wasn't in the original script, but it kind of came across quite well, and it's quite like, quite a little sweet little storyline as well, so that kept, we kept that in. Um, the new actress we took on, Nikki, she was a very different kind of character from, I think, what I had in my head originally, but she was actually a better character, because, yeah, um, and I think um, that dynamic worked really well. Um, tricky was thing was kind of like because I did a rough edit. Yeah. And then I found out about Nigel passing away, so that meant that I had to go back and re-edit an enormous amount of stuff again, and again reshoot stuff as well. So that was. Um, and now, even two and a half years later, as I say, I'm still trying to think of a even better version. Which hopefully we'll shoot this year. Um, but, you, but, but you have got a finished version, and it is available to watch, isn't it? Now, the finished version's been out now for about a year and a half. Um, it was picked up by an American distribution company, um, so it's now available on Amazon.com and Vimeo, etc. Um, uh, so let, let's, remind, human, let, let's remind people the name of the film. So it's Beyond Evil, uh, The Dead of Night. Yeah. 
Uh, say if you go on Amazon.com, just type that in, it will come up. Um, I'm fairly sure it's quite easy to download or buy a copy. Brilliant. Um, yeah, it's out there. Right. Um, so, so again, it was, it was a major relief actually, because it's probably about two years' work off and on, obviously not consistently, but um, from initial kind of idea to actually getting it launched and out there. Um, so yeah, it was. Well, no, congr congr congratulations on the achievement. And uh... yes, um, it was a it was um, it was a real baptism of fire because it was. You know, say very limited resources, and I was spreading myself very thin in terms of doing multiple jobs. Um, so I'm kind of hoping nothing will ever be that difficult again. <laughs> we'll, we shall see. Um, never say never, Jason. <laughs> yeah, I, well, uh, I can't imagine. It was, it was an enjoyable process, I think, but again, it was it was a tough one because it's um, cause if you're directing, producing, etc., and also living in the location, you never switch off. So literally, like two o'clock in the morning, I'd still be watching what we'd shot that day, and then setting up for the next day. And it was one of the most exhausting weeks of my life. Um, and I think now, actually, when I watched the film, I looked unbelievably tired, um, which probably because I was. Uh, but again, that was part of the character. He was meant to be very, very stressed. Um, and if you do watch the film, and obviously I'm playing a version of myself, just to let you know. I'm not that much of a git that I appear in on film. That was, <laughs> honestly, that's, that was an exaggerated version of myself. That was not um, ultimately the real me. That's my dark half coming out. and Yeah. Actually, that's, that's a question I forgot to ask. What, what little tricks did you come up with then to, to help get your actors to sort of not, not act, as it were, or get when you're doing those multiple takes, sort of... Keeping it fresh, but keeping it seemingly improvised. Um, what, what kind well, of things were you cast, doing? Uh, the guy called, called Deepak, he was actually narrating as well. Yeah. I kind of, I've known him for a few years. He's got a very, um, he's a very good actor, but he's got a very soulful quality, which is it's quite an unusual thing for an actor. Yeah. So I kind of played up to that quite a bit because he was kind of meant to be the. Basically, looking back over the footage, he's been quite damaged by the incident, so he did a narration, which was really great. Um, so we kind of, we got together and we did lots of improvisation and lots of workshops, so we actually um, we kind of lived to film to a certain extent, because we actually drove down there together and we got lost on the way there, so it was like a genuine kind of, we're going to film horror film, so it was, yeah, it was... You got lost yeah. on the way to a film set, which yes, is about a film that goes wrong. Uh, and that made <laughs> you want to be edits. Um, but yeah, we actually got massively lost. And again, it was the thing of the whole GPS on the phone's not working, and you know, it, it, a little bit straw dogs at one point, and there was this weird neighbour woman who kept. Um, yeah, she she came round. Um, There's like a farm next door, and a woman came round complaining that. Probably at eight o'clock in the morning, she'd seen someone urinating in our garden. Right. I was all I kept thinking, why are you watching our garden at eight o'clock in the morning? So she was a bit, um, yeah, <laughs> she was a bit kind of local, shall we say. And like, oh, we don't like these city guys coming down here and messing up our local area. So, yeah, well, so she, well, strange. Well, um, congratulations from Britflix for, for getting your first feature film. Made and out, and out there. So just very briefly for the for the end of it, and I'll put I'll put links in the show notes so people can can get straight to it on. on okay, we've also got a website which is Beyond Evil 
themovie.com or the film.com. Sorry, the film, yeah. Okay, well, again, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Send you a link, etc. yeah. Cool. Now, you've got some other project that's come to fruition that's, that's going to see daylight very soon. Do you want to briefly tell yes. people what that's about? Um, well, I've been running a comedy show called a 313 show for about the last four years, actually using some of the actors from Beyond Evil. Um, initially started as a comedy podcast of sketches. Yeah. Then became a live stage show of about a year and a half. Um, and now we've actually filmed about 42 sketches and made a three-hour, six-part series, um, which I've very, very nearly finished editing. Again, it's been a mammoth editing process. Um, but it should be available within the next couple of months, again, on Amazon and iTunes and all those wonderful kind of places. Well, cool. Well, look, I guess, I guess, I mean, do you have, like, Twitter and things like that we can put in the show notes? People can, can follow you yeah, for, for updates. I'll send you some various things. The 313 show... It's the 313comedyshow.com. Okay. Um, I'll send you very links. And then there's uh, www.pericals.com, which is our um, production company. Brilliant. And, yeah, um, can we just pause for a second? So, Stuart, my battery's running very low. Do you mind if I'm going to get my charger? Are we... Sure, sure, sure. Can we just two minutes? Yeah, yeah, sure. Go on. Yeah. Quick break. <sighs> Hello? Jason? Jason? Jason, we've broken it. I can't hear you. So, that's how the podcast went down. Discussing Beyond Evil, Dead of Night with Jason Fight. He ran out of battery. We stopped the call for a minute. And then the curse of the curse on the curse of the movie extended to the podcast. So we never got to properly end the conversation. In fact, dear listener, I never got to hear from Jason again. Until five minutes later on social media. I saw a comment from him. So I think he's okay. But we couldn't get technology to uh, to make the uh, rest of the closing moments of the interview work, so I thought it'd be quite funny for it to end. As cursed as his movie. So that was Jason Fight talking about his movie. Out now. Links will be in the show notes for Beyond Evil, Dead of Night. Thank you for listening. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. You did something wrong.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.